So I was in New York the other day, stroking my pickle in the corner, but suddenly a freckic Jew spawned out of an underground tunnel. Man, I just trying to edge to a minor and an ugly Jew disturbed me. I miss this German guy with a nice beard. I like to listen to music and on after I have a hit of my thought of my thought of my thought. I like to listen to music and on after I have a hit of my thought of my thought of my thought. I like to listen to music and on after I have a hit of my bong bong. If I need to write a song, but it didn't take me very long. Well, now's the end. Uh, yeah. Oh, Adam and Eve. Eve. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm on your host, E. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Hiya. Happy Side Chick Day, Kate Rambo. And also, men. Men can be side hoes too, can't they? And to the side. Men, men. or women can be uh, side hoes, and even pets. Yes, or, Some unless pets. they're your first husband, like Gigi is with me. Did you know uh, that uh, February fifteenth is National Side Chick Day? No, I thought it was National Discounted Chocolate Day and flowers. I think that's why it's National Side Chick Day. Oh, so then you're going like <laughs> get your stuff for your side hoe. Well, it's also known as Side Peace Day, but mm. Valentine's Day is, you know, it's kind of the day that you, you sort of feel bad for side chicks. Well, because I mean, you're not they being make, taken out. Yeah, but they make a choice to be a side chick. Well, they do. I mean, it's a conscious choice to be a side chick and they understand what they're doing. But I still think you kind of have that, I don't know if it's a feeling of rejection, but it's like this feeling of futility. That you must have the day, the day of Valentine's Day, because you can't text your guy, you can't go out to dinner. The guy's not going to do it. The guy's with his main bitch. He's not with his side hoe. Yeah, he's, you know. I mean, it's also very expensive. I would imagine. Well, I mean, for uh, the man to have two chicks, or a woman to have two men. Or women, yeah. I mean, it must it's be expensive. But I think that's why February fifteenth is side chick day because that's when you go to Walgreens or CBS and you get all the candy that's like half off. I would be so mad. I'd be like, <laughs> I don't, I want you to pay full price for the candy. You've paid for your wife to have full price candy. I want full price candy too. And I will know. I'll know if you got these on discount. Well, how would you know? Because like women know. I mean, maybe, but at least you're getting chocolate and you're getting things. Yeah, but I... Because what if he just didn't bring over anything, not even flowers, and just expected to get a blowjob? Right. If you're going to have a side piece, you most certainly are being romantic with her, probably more so than you're be, being romantic with your wife. That's the entire point of a side piece. Well, I think you're romantic with your wife on Valentine's Day and maybe her birthday. Yes. And that's it. And the other times you're with your side hoe. Guma. Mistress. Guma. Same diff. Semantics. <laughs> but so... Have you ever actually been a side chick? Um, have I? I've sadly cheated on boyfriends. I'm not proud of it. But no, but I mean, have you 20s. been a guy's side hoe? Like he was he had in a, a relationship no, and no. he was with you? No, I've but I've cheated on boyfriends in the past and I'm very sorry I did that. But was it like repeated or did you just a one-off like you know oh, one-off no, it was, thing it was an bar? affair and then i got pregnant by the guy i was having a relationship with so so then i had an abortion and then i got back with 
him. So you had a side hoe, a male side hoe. I had a side hoe, yes. And he looked like Ringo from the Beatles. How long were you in this affair for? That was actually the second time we went out. So it was like a 10-month intense relationship all in. And then so we- you had a 10-month relationship with the side hoe as well. And how long were you in your like main... With, how long were you in your relationship with your main bitch? Three or four years-ish. Wow, four years. How did you juggle it? I mean, did you... It, it, you feel I mean, it a must lot have been guilt. difficult. Yeah. It's complicated. And, yes, and you feel a lot of guilt and it's not good. Like, if you just want to cheat on somebody, just fucking break up with them is my advice. But Okay, so how did you cope with, like, Valentine's Day, for example? I don't think a Valentine's Day occurred and it's not in... I do remember we all went to... I went to the cinema with my then-boyfriend and the guy who was my guma was sat in front of us because it was a screening of Nail and I, so it was like an, like you know a special. Was event. he on a date? No, my guma was in front of me, and then behind me and my boyfriend was a guy I'd shagged in my past, and I was like, "This is terrible." It's a small town. Yeah, I was like, "This is terrible. Yeah. I need to leave." It's like the ghost of exes past, past. and present. I've always wondered, like, wouldn't Future. it be funny to line up all your exes, like? I always thought on like the 15th anniversary of me losing my virginity, I would have liked to have lined up all my exes just to like see them all in a room together. Yeah, mine would be like the Special Olympics. I imagine I would. <laughs> I don't want that. And I'd be the queen of them. So, so when, uh, when you would communicate with this guy, were you, would you text him in private or text him outside while you're smoking a cigarette while the main bitch was upstairs? Well, like, how did it work? How'd you communicate? Yeah, for text, I'd just be like, "Come on over." But I mean, did your was was your main guy ever suspicious? Because he's like, you're sitting here surreptitiously texting. No, that's what men do. Men are the worst at cheating. Women, women are kind of, I think, born to cheat. We know how to like keep secrets and to do they it rather deceptive. well. Whereas men are stupid. Snakes. Men always show the signs when they're cheating but and being deceptive. It's really easy. I still think, though, if you're in a re- committed relationship with someone and they're being kind of dodgy, you, you'd figure it out. Yeah, Unless you you're completely clueless. Yeah, and maybe that's why they're cheating on you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could see that. So anyway, I was reading an article because today is National Side Chick Day. And... This guy, Bridell Rice, he wrote up the side chick rules for Valentine's Day. So if you're a side chick, you know it. You're okay with it. You've accepted it. But yet you have to respect the rules of the game. Or it's not going to work out. That's true. So, I mean, you must have laid down rules for your, uh, your, your side hoe. You must have been like, dude, you can't come over. Don't go to this restaurant. You know, we're going to, you know, you can't, you can't ever call when he's here. Like, did you have rules? Not really. It was like, yeah. But I mean, did you I like. ignore a phone call. Yeah, but were you like, don't go to this, you know, this Trader Joe's because that's where I shop. No, I would never be that advanced about it. What, how often did you, other than the movie theater, how often did you run into him? Oh, all the time because it was a small town. And there was one instance where me and Ringo were in bed in my ground floor flat at the time we were in bed and then my current boyfriend who had yet to break up with was outside knocking on the window that's about as close as it came wow yeah, again i feel very bad about that because he was a it's lovely terrible. boyfriend and i should have just broken don't up. don't even it. try it because i'll know believe <laughs> me i will know i'll see it in your eyes 
Um, but yeah, you need to respect the rules of the game or the game's going to be up. Like you can't play your hate from the sideline. No. Because your interactions, and if you interfere at all, it's going to affect the main relationship. And that's going to be the end of the side relationship too, most likely. So rule one, when a man is in a real relationship, you know, the one with like uh-huh. boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, there are certain commitments that need to be maintained, like Valentine's Day. And you have to understand that Valentine's Day is not for side chicks. Side chick day is for side chicks. Exactly. Guma day. Yeah. So don't call, don't text, don't email, don't start any drama. Just wait. And the next day, you'll get your chocolates. It's your day. Half price. Day. Yeah. No, full price. He must buy them before that day. Full price. Side hoes should never contact the guy first. Like, you shouldn't reach out first. You should wait for him to kind of reach out with, like, an all-clear signal saying everything's all right. We could do this. See, I think that's a bit old-fashioned. Because, like, what? Are you meant to sit in your house all day waiting for him to contact you? Fuck that. Bridell is a professional side chick wrangler. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> so that's, that's where this is coming from. This is a professional. You can contact him at his job during business hour. Um, you can contact him through Google Voice or a work phone, just not the personal phone. And if you do text, you could say like, yo, or what up, son? Oh, like you're one of his best. <laughs> you're one of his bros. Uh, you know what I love? I love in Goodfellas when Karen finds out about... Um, uh, the Guma. Yeah, Debbie, uh, Debbie Mazer. And she's like, she's going... The girl in apartment 7B is a whore. She's pressing, she's a whore. <laughs> she kind of does sound like Marge. She does a little. In that movie. All right, rule two, keep the communication um, between side chicks on social networks to a minimum. So don't be like posting pictures Why would you of post you and the guy on Facebook. Idiots do that. I or they tag idiots. him in something in, in Instagram. Yeah. Like if you tag the dude in the story saying that we're hanging out, you post that. The main bitch is going to find out. And of course, women are like also like really good at the internet and can sleuth out people. So don't ever think as a man that you can out sleuth a woman on the internet. There's no way. Because you absolutely cannot. It's like innate. Women know what they're doing. We know how to find media. shit on the internet. And so that's the thing. That's why. That's exactly why you can't be upset or all butthurt if the guy's not like responding to you on Valentine's Day or tagging you in a picture or posting anything with you. In social media, because you're the side hoe. Yeah. So your side dude, did that guy understand this? Again, I don't think we had a Valentine's Day together. No, but, but I mean, just was, social media in general. Like, he was like, all right, I'm never going to tag you anything. You don't tag me. That yeah, kind of thing. Nothing like that happened. But again, this was a very long time ago. We're talking like mid-2000s. Okay, so this is kind of before social media really took off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was around, but not like... Not like it is Not today. as pervasive it is today. Yeah. Um, yeah, the biggest thing is don't send pictures. You don't need to send pictures of yourself. Even sexy pictures, you know, even that I would kind of keep to a minimum. Because if, the, if you have any of that evidence on your phone and your wife finds that or your girlfriend finds it, it's done. You Everything's are, done. You are done for, yeah. Um... This, this guy, Bridell, says, so don't share pictures on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Definitely not Instagram, because that's the worst. You'll definitely get caught there. But you can be creative, and you could subtweet or subpost. You ever heard that? Term? Oh, and like what? Use a hashtag that you two have specifically worked out. And then you would search the hashtag, and then you would delete the search for the hashtag. 
Well, they call it subtweet. So it's like a subliminal tweet. So in, instead of just like outright tagging someone, you just sort of mention their name or like mention a funny name that, you know, that no one would really understand what you're talking about. Right. Like being vague. Uh, next rule. The day after Valentine's Day is when a, a side hoe gets her gift. And this is usually because the gifts are, you know, on sale or discounted. So you'll get a $5 teddy bear or a 99 cent gas station rose. No. But you also get some dick. Uh, well, wow, amazing. <laughs> You're a side hoe. That's what you want. I fucking want, I want a diamond bracelet. What? I want something better than what the wife got because I'm the That's side chick. That's not going to happen. That's what the goomas get. The well, goomas get something better than what the wife got. You get the got. wife something expensive so she doesn't like look into what you're doing when you're not with her. And then you buy something expensive for the gooma. No, you get the leftovers. That's what the side chicks get. No, no. Number Think four, don't threaten your lover that you're about to kill yourself. Oh, well, Come maybe on. you should do that anyways in regular life. Spare me the drama. <laughs> Come on. Like when side hoes get crazy, um, that that's when you get caught. And it's like the guy doesn't even really care anyway. Because like if if your side dude was sitting there be like, if you don't see me, I'm going to kill myself. Wouldn't you just be like, fuck off. I'd be like, go and do it then. Yeah, just do it. You can call him out. Yeah, I would. Call his bluff. Yes. Uh, rule five. Side hoes need to continue playing their role on their bench. They need to understand that that's their lane. So there's no weekend getaway there's no romantic evenings that happen there can be there's furtive little like getaways like maybe you'll sneak off to a movie theater if you can but that's like a, a if you're in a committed relationship especially if you're married and you live you know in the same house as your wife getting out for four hours on like a, a wednesday night it's not easy you gotta think more creatively because suddenly i'd be like honey I've got this really weird promotion at work. It's so crazy. Uh, the only downside is it does ha- it does send me like across the country like every couple of months, you know. I'm, but I'm gonna go to like boring conferences and like, like every I'm going couple- to Indiana again. Yeah, every Lame. couple of months, you and your guma are stepping out for the weekend somewhere else, and like you would ring your wife while you're there and just like don't See, th- slip up. This is spoken from a real cheater. No, you can tell. You have you also tell. cheated on girlfriends in the past. Never get, get off Never. your high horse. I am honest. I am chaste and pure. You are such a liar. Unlike these northern birds, you have I host cheated on podcasts with. You have cheated on girls that you were living with. My I add. Never. Uh huh. Never. I hope she's listening now. She knows who she is. <laughs> <laughs> the most important thing here, though, is for a side hoe, and I hope you explain this. You know. In, in what, clear to terms hoe? to your side dude don't catch feelings it's all fun and games until somebody catches feelings wrong again because you can totally have a side piece and have feelings for them side hoes need to know their role you need to understand your position in this relationship this is like very like a downgrading look on side hoes um, I, I agree with Bridell. he's a professional side hoe wrangler but this is just like having a side hoe just for a shack like, I think you, you should have a side hoe that gives you an emotional Well, that's connection. a polyamorous relationship. No, because they, they're not going to get with your wife. It's still all a fucking secret. No, it's, you're, you're opening the relationship. You're having multiple relationships. It's not polyamorous when the person. other person doesn't fucking know or it's, consent to it. That's not polyamorous. Well, that's what I'm saying, but that's what you're looking for because you're looking for a, love, no. a loving connection with someone else, not just a too, physical connection. Because you're too much of a pussy to break up with them. That's but, what it is. Now, this, I think what's happening here is they're not getting sex from the wifey. 
like they're not physically satisfied oh, in their main relationship, so they're going and seeking that connection elsewhere. Yeah, but we're, I, we're, but when you're looking like I want actually like an emotional connection with this other person, well, that's point. that's like you're opening the relationship. You want to have multiple. You want to have open relationships. You want to be polyamorous. No, because why go to all this hassle just to get a fucking shack? Why not just go to a prostitute? Where you can pay money, no but one's going to find out, and it is their job to keep a secret. That's what Tony Soprano did. He wants to just go fuck some chick when he wanted to. I mean, no strings attached. It's easy. You go over there, you bang her, you leave. That's never going to happen in the real world. They are it called prostitutes. does happen. They're called prostitutes. It, it, it happens, but then once one, one of the members of this relationship catches feelings, it's ruined. <laughs> it's ruined. But you got to be like a sociopath when it comes to this. Yeah, it's horrible. And don't do you it. You do. You need to understand your role and your position to make this work. Because don't expect him to like drop his wife because you have some magical connection here. No, but it's it not going to happen. happen. Be, I'm just be pragmatic about this. Like what this relationship actually is. He's not going to be spending Valentine's Day with you, sweetheart. He's going to be spending side ho day with you with your discounted chocolates. On the 15th. No pay full price. <laughs> Treat your guma well. But, th- but that's the thing. You got to ask these questions. Like, do you think a side chick has the right to be upset when the, the person they're involved with spends Valentine's Day with their real partner? No. And I don't think as a side chick you should ever get, unless he's playing that, like, what, Carrie Fisher and When Harry Met Sally. He's never going to leave his wife. Like, unless you're playing that where he's, like, pacating you and saying he's going to divorce. In which well, case, yeah, I think you yeah. have a little bit of, like, grievance. But at the same time, you know, it's hypocritical for someone who's cheating on their wife with a side chick to expect her to be faithful to him. Well, I don't think it is hypocritical. I think, I think of the guy, it's like if you're with this side chick and you're cheating on your wife, meanwhile, with this side chick, and then you expect her not to have other relationships? Oh, the side chick. Yeah, yeah the, the side, side chick can oh, go. Oh, no, sorry, I was getting confused then. Yeah. The side chick can absolutely do whatever the fuck they want because they ain't got a ring on their finger. That, exactly. No. They can, and these are the rules of the game. <laughs> you know, that, that's what it is. So anyway, the reason I'm bringing up side chick day is because this week we're going to chat about a very famous side hoe named Vicky Morgan. She was the S&M mistress of Alfred Bloomingdale. Yeah. And she was brutally murdered after suing Bloomingdale's estate in 1982. Yeah. But before we get, to, before we get into all that, let's chat about your podcast, Side Ho. Sick and Wrong. Sick and Wrong, you know, I was thinking about the Sick and Wrong is never the main bitch. With a goom off. <laughs> it's never the main bitch. Like the main bitch is like, I don't know, last podcast on the left or one of those other ones or Joe Rogan. But Sick and Wrong is like the secret pleasure. It's the podcast you never tell your family, your friends, your coworkers about. Because you'd be disgusted if they listened to it. Exactly. But it's your, you know, it's your guilty pleasure. And the big, and, and the main thing about the guilty pleasure here is the Sick and Wrong patron. Or Apple Podcasts, because that's when we really post the, the saucy content. That's the true sick and wrong. Yes, it is. Um, so if you hang out with your sick and wrong side hoe every Monday, then all we ask is for you to sign up for the Patreon or Apple Podcasts and just help support the show. It's only $5 a month. That's it. It's nothing. It's less than like you know, a box of discounted chocolates for the side chair. That's less than a real guma. Yeah. Five bucks a month. You get access to Sick and Wrong Second Show. And this week on Second Show, uh, we chat with special guest JoJo uh, for a Valentine's Day special. 
um, special guest on a special show. He is. But we talk with JoJo about giving up on love in New York City and deleting his Tinder apps. He's become a voluntary incel. Well, I think he's sick of being a side hoe. Because <laughs> that, that was happening. JoJo was the Guma. I'll Jojo, stop saying Guma now, I JoJo wasn't the main bitch. He was a side hoe, and he's sick of it, and he deleted all of the apps. And now he's going to become a virgin again. And the best part of the show, because it recorded yesterday, was the guy in the building right across from us, like right across from the Sigurong studio, was preparing this like romantic meal for his lover during the entire show. And we were looking. It's unavoidable for us to look. Well, there, we both don't have curtains. And so he was, you know, there were like flowers and... Streamers. Like, yeah, streamers candles. and like linguine. It, it was very romantic. And we watched it the entire time while we were recording the second show, giving like play-by-play updates. To JoJo, yeah. Yeah. It was so, free um, television. $5 a month. That's it. You get all that. Five bucks a month. And you get access to the uh, Sick and Wrong Discord. You don't even need to sign up for uh, Patreon these days. We're a modern podcast. We're a modern side hoe cast. Uh, you can go to Apple Podcasts um, right on your phone. Just subscribe to Second Show that way. A couple different ways to support the show. Also got the archives up on Apple Podcasts the first six years. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Uh, support the show. We do appreciate it. So let me play this quick promo and then let's chat about Vicki Morgan, Alfred Bloomingdale's scandalous side piece. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners, if you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. All right, so you guys listen to Dave Matthews. You yeah, got a water. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then... Uh, and She's then, like, come to the boudoir. Right, right. The boudoir. <laughs> the boudoir. Right, right. <laughs> so you, she, is, she is the type of woman who would call it a boudoir. Right. So, so you go in there. When did you see, first encounter the smell? Uh, I think it's like when I pulled off her pants. Oh, she so pulled her panties down. Wow, and just when I, you and, what and pants or panties? No, no, no. Panties or trousers here. Panties still on. Strong whiff. Oh, through Whoa. the panties. Yeah. That's intense. That's intense. Right. That's intense. And I noticed. And it. so you're like, I gotta go further. And I was that. like, I gotta get my head in there. <laughs> I gotta <laughs> put my tongue in that. <laughs> I gotta inspect a little closer. <laughs> I gotta find Nemo. <laughs> For only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. Don't you ever... So before we get into this, I want to uh, like some of my sources. There was this great LA Weekly articles from the Times. Obviously, Justice by Dominic Dunn. I fucking love him. That guy's great. I used to oh, love his I columns love in uh, Vanity Fair. Is he yeah. still alive? No, I think he's died. Yeah, but he, he's great. Fantastic yeah, he writer. Great. And this is the book that's all about his daughter who got murdered as well. And then David Krajiek's Crime Library Articles and uh, The Beautiful Bad Girl by Gordon uh, Basiak's. Basiak's. He's Greek. So I used all of them as references. Valentine's Day. It's also known as St. Valentine's Day for the very fancy. Or the Feast of St. Valentine's Day. We all know it falls on February the 14th. And across the world, small tokens and trinkets, flowers and chocolates. They're the traditional gifts between loved ones in the name of a saint. Also, diamond bracelets. And mylar balloons. 
Milo balloons? What's that? Yeah. You know those like silver balloons with a big heart on it? Oh, like full of helium. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Milo balloon. Never heard we don't call them Milo. So the history of the holiday is murky. The Catholic Church recognizes at least free martyred Roman men in the name of Valentine, and the Christians stole the pagan festival of uh, Lupercalia, which is the fertility festival, uh, festival? <laughs> festival dedicated to uh, Faunus, the Roman god of agriculture, as well as to the Roman founders Romulus and Remus, the boys who suckled at the teat of a wolf. <laughs> Some history for you there. Like we were saying, this date is an expensive and busy one for Lafarios aplenty. And Alfred S. Bloomingdale was no stranger to this. For 12 years, he was having a kind of secret extramarital affair with a beautiful model named Vicky Morgan. He kept her in a luxurious apartment fit for a guma. He showered her with expensive clothing and jewelry from his family's department store. Yes, he is from that Bloomingdale family. He bought her cars, holidays, trips away, and her lifestyle typified those of like the beautiful and the damned who have been drawn to the lights of Tinseltown. She's like the original sugar baby, and he's like the original sugar daddy. Like Anna Nicole was probably taking tips. Well, I mean, he must have been loaded. How old was he? Like, what was the age difference? The, I think there's about 30 years, maybe 40. Oh, okay. So this really <laughs> is a sugar daddy, sugar baby relationship. Yes. But with a uh, built on love. Actually, you'll be surprised. There was a miraculous rise. There's going to be a sordid, sleazy, scandalous, and sadomasochistic sex tapes downfall of a very scarlet woman with a scarlet letter. Vicky's parents, Delbert and Connie, they meet in Britain during Guess Wendy. When every week, what do we talk about? World War Two somehow. It's World War Fucking Two. It's always here. Yeah. Delbert was a, sh- a sergeant in the American Air Force. Connie was from Norfolk. And no doubt they met at like a staff army party for army members on respite. They would end up getting married. They moved to Colorado Springs. They have two daughters, Barbara, she's born in 46, and Victoria Lynn, born on August the 9th, 1952. Delbert was fair weather and he one day he goes out for cigarettes and he just never comes back. She never met her father. He just fucks off. So wait, was Delbert black? <laughs> joking bad joke bad joke I was just, but the name i mean doesn't the name could be a black name I've, i don't know delbert could be like a really ginger guy del, del. Yeah. yeah connie's hot though and despite having two kids she soon meets and remarries a man uh, called ralph laney and with like the mini gold rush that it was occurring at the time they moved to southern california and they live in a ranch house in montclair in the inland empire suburbs of los angeles i love his story it's all very la and it's especially our area of la well the inland empire sucks if you yeah. ever go there <laughs> love that movie though by david lynch oh yeah that was a good movie Happiness doesn't last long for them. Ralph dies of a heart attack in 61. Vicky's only nine. This probably affects her schoolwork as she was quite indifferent to being a student. She was remembered as being quiet, really easygoing. She was always well-dressed and she did very few school activities. She's not a joiner. You know, she doesn't want to join in. She, she doesn't like to participate in all the group activities? No, I don't blame her. Loner. She also becomes a kind of latchkey kid, too, because Connie has to begin her career as a cafeteria worker to help make ends meet after the death of her husband. Puberty hits and hit hits Vicky hard, but in a really good way. She's fucking blessed. She resembles her tall and thin mother, and she sprang up five foot ten inches. 
Whoa, that's now that is tall for a woman. For a chick, yeah. And she has like really vixen eyes with like really like nearly nineteen thirties like arched eyebrows. Kind of like Faye Dunaway. She kinda has this like haughty look to her. She kinda has a Faye Dunaway look. I mean we're gonna post pictures to the site. She's but sexy. yeah, she's very attractive. She she kind of reminds me of like Gia Karanji, but like not as sexy. Like Gia's very, very, very sexy, and I just feel like Vicky's like she's got a hard edge to her. More androgynous nearly. Still attractive. I don't think. Oh, you know, hot. I, mean, I think she looks very feminine. So friends said Vicky could be a model, and so Connie scrapes together the money to send her to Studio Seven Academy, which is a charm school in Covina. Do they even have charm schools anymore? Yeah, I was, I was about to say, what's a charm school? That's where they teach like you a modeling school. Basically, yeah, they teach you like manners and how to network and how to get in and out of cars in a skirt gracefully. You should open a charm school. I think that's what's lacking in our society. I don't think I'd be very good at a charm school. <laughs> something tells me. She does land a few early modeling gigs kind of at the local mall before she's going to do the classiest thing that a gorgeous girl at charm school can do. She gets pregnant. That's not very charming. So her first obsession was always modeling, but after that it was boys. And her life had revolved around her boyfriend at the time, Gary Haskell, and they had been in a three-year-long relationship, started dating when she was 13. She keeps the pregnancy secret for a couple of months. Abortion's out the question because they're in an Escapalian house, uh, household, like a Christian household. So she gives birth at the age of 16, which is very early teen mom. I loved that show. <laughs> like, I, I might rewatch the first couple of seasons of it. Far I just out. love when they give birth in, like, a McDonald's bathroom. <laughs> what, and then throw the baby in the dumpster? Well, no, it's like they didn't even know they were pregnant. Oh, I always like those Is that stories. 16 and pregnant? That might have been right, 16 and pregnant. Different, Teen different mom story. was different. I got them all mixed up. I know, they're similar. So she gives birth on January the 7th, 1969. She names him Todd. But instead of having him adopted out, her mother is going to be the one who mainly raises him, especially during the early years. Gary has little to no input in his son's life, and he also goes out for cigarettes and never comes back. That's a raw deal for the mom. Well, maybe she was like, no, I will look after it. She could have agreed to it and said, this yes, is fine. Yes, but it's like she already raised her kids. Now she's got to raise another one? Well, she's still raising her kids. She's only 16. I wouldn't say that's yeah. her kid raised. Vicky still has dreams of being a model and an actress, so she heads to Tinseltown to chase her dreams. But she quickly realizes that without a high school diploma, she has limited job options. She ends up landing a job at a boutique in the mall because LA is full of pretty girls. Like, them's the breaks, isn't it? Working in malls. In steps Earl Lamb. He's 47 years old. He's a clothing wholesaler, and he flips his toupee when he first sets eyes on Vicky. (laughs) He's originally from Chicago. And he's three times her age, which sounds really familiar to me. Even though he's a 1920s kid, he dresses like a 1970s pimp. So, like, think of Paul Snyder and Dorothy Stratton. We covered them a few episodes back. Oh, yeah, that was, like, one of my early episodes. He were, Actually, we need to go to um, where the Dorothy where the Stratton occurred. grave. Yeah, yeah. No, to the grave, because um, obviously Peter Bogdanovich has died since then, and he's next to Dorothy Stratton. Oh, we should check it out. But even like the murder house, though. I don't think we've been there. No, we haven't. We should go. It looks like a shithole, but we should. He wears huge aviator sunglasses. He's got tons of gold bling, bell bottoms, huge platforms, and shirts barely buttoned past the navel. He wears fur coats, fedoras. He's styling. He sounds sexy to me. This guy is pimping. He'd yeah, he be sure. pimping. And the, the hair piece is kind of like the cherry on the top. 
He's like my age. This is like me if I was wearing like a gold chain and I had like some chest hair coming out of my like velour, velour V-neck shirt. Oh my God, please. Get with it. Vicky would later claim that she had, actually didn't know that he was wearing a hairpiece until she woke up in his bed at the Sierra Towers one morning and his dome was shining brightly in the LA morning sun and his hairpiece was resting across the room on an artificial head. <laughs> well, you you can't sleep in those things? No. We just ruin it? Well, yeah, but also like all the sweat and minginess from your scalp, I think, would ruin it. <laughs> well, it must have been a pretty good hairpiece if she had no idea She's that he had one. Seventeen. I guess. Yeah, she hasn't even finished high school. Bless her. And also, I thought this was really interesting. So the Sierra Towers is a residential 31-story high-rise condominium. It's kind of in West Hollywood, Beverly Hills. And it's actually the highest residential tower in LA relative to sea level. And it's still one of Beverly Hills' hippest addresses. Last year, Katy Perry sold her penthouse apartment for a cool $11 million For 11 a fucking apartment. Like, it's insane to me. The, it's not even like a really amazing looking building. It's not like, where did, um, what is it, the Eastern Company where Johnny Depp lived downtown? You, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a gorgeous that's a, building. That's a beautiful building. That's like a loft, though. Yeah. But the Sierra Towers is just kind of like, I wouldn't say it's beautiful by any means. It's, it's a weird location. It's like where Sunset starts going, kind of cutting diagonally downwards. And then uh, Sierra Way is off of Doheny. So it's kind of like Beverly Hills, West Hollywood, like kind of on the border. Yeah, it's a weird one. So Vicky's shagging her sugar daddy there, and she's going to see celebrities like Joan Collins, Elton John, Cher, the very divine Yule Brunner, and other Hollywood high flyers in the lobby in the elevators. It's just a hip address. You know, it's right down the street from the rainbow. I was thinking. And rather close to the Soho house. Oh, maybe that's why. <laughs> Within weeks of meeting her, Earl wants to put the lockdown on that diamond level pussy. So he presents her with a real diamond. And like the choice is obvious, right? So you're either going to stay working at your shitty retail job, trying for modeling gigs, maybe. Maybe you'll move back home to raise your kid. Or you're going to live the real glamorous Hollywood life with your billionaire sugar daddy. Like I said, this is Anna Nicole in a heartbeat. And she does it. She's 17 years old. What are you going to do? Was uh, Earl married? No. He's marrying Oh, he's a bachelor. He's a bachelor and he's putting the lockdown on her. Okay, all right, all right. Well, that that makes sense, so. Her young age of 17 really appeals to Earl because he has a humbert, humbert sexual (laughs) appetite. Apparently. They fly to Las Vegas. They're married in a five-minute ceremony at a 24-hour wedding chapel, which is really romantic. And maybe it was the wedding night where Earl broke the news that he was a swinger and he expects Vicky to accommodate him. Or maybe she even knew about it before. But his favorite thing is to dress her up as a schoolgirl and take her out for romps that included orgies and lesbian threesomes. God, the free swing in 70s. I know, this is yeah, balls I out. I mean, they, I guess they kind of do this still, but they're usually in like these really like high-end swinger clubs. And plus, like, there's no fear of AIDS back then. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this it is kind of pre-AIDS. But you'd probably get like gonorrhea. Yeah, but you know, you go to the doctor, get Syphilis. a shot, clear it up. Yeah. You know, Vicky goes along with this. She said his attentions made her feel special and wanted. But if she ever protested any of his like sexual schemes or trysts, then he would instantly turn abusive. In turn, she's going to head out to nightclubs by herself in search of younger men just to get away from this old footy duty. I mean, he's old enough to be her dad. Four he's, year age. He's difference. got a hairpiece for Christ's sake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does have a hairpiece. 
all of her relationships with men, they're going to follow this pattern. They meet, they get involved really quickly, things turn rotten even faster, and she's going to move on. All except one relationship. Well, hold on a second. She was married to Earl, though. So did did she get a divorce? Yes. We'll we'll talk about that. There are many different stories of how she's going to meet the longest lover of her life, but the story of meeting at the Old World restaurant, which was a prototype health cafe on Sunset Boulevard, is the most consistent. So fun fact, this was the restaurant opened by Jim Baker, a.k.a. Father Yod. So he's a health food guru and he's a polygamous cult leader. We covered him in part of like a three-part series back on episode 874. So 873 was about the Acid King of Hollywood and oh, yeah. the famous Mars Bar Party with Marion Faithful. It's a classic episode. That was a good episode. I know. And 872 was the life and death of a razorhead Peter Ivers. And we've still never been to find his loft either. We should go and look. That was downtown, yeah. So back to Vicky. If Earl's toupee flipped his wig, then her new lover's eyes, they jutted out in like really big hearts. And he made the hubba hubba awooga noise when he saw yeah. her. I'm picturing that cartoon wolf. Yeah, with like that's the eyes him. popping out. That's awooga. Bloomingdale. In her own words, their first meeting went like this. He, Alfred, followed me into the restaurant, the Old World restaurant on Sunset Boulevard, and struck up a conversation. He told me that his wife was in Europe. I recall him asking if I played tennis because his daughter played tennis. She had been in school in England, and he said we didn't live that far from each other. And he asked me for my phone number so that I could maybe get a relationship going with his daughter, Lisa, playing tennis because he could no longer play. He had hurt his knee years prior. And that's how it went. Very, you know, like lax, casual conversation. Yeah, right. Alfred knew exactly. Exactly what he was doing. Oh, yeah. He zeroed in on the slut and was just like, this one, I can purchase. Well, I don't think she's a slut. I think she's a very young girl, and I think he also has a Lolita complex. She probably saw him with an old man, and she was like, oh, I'll replace that old man because I'm even wealthier. I don't know. I think she probably just saw him and was like, oh, you are an old man. Vicky had actually no clue who he was. She'd never even heard of Bloomingdale's because at this point, Bloomingdale's was still just a New York star. It actually opened its first star outside New York in 76. She kind of thought he was funny and gave him her number. The next day, Alfred started calling her, and this is what she says, a minimum of five times a day, up to 20 times a day for approximately two months straight, all day long. Stalker. He wanted me to have lunch with him. And she kept turning him down. She's like, I'm fucking married, man. I'm not coming to lunch with you. Phoning Vicky multiple times a day would actually become habit for Alfred every day for the rest of uh, his and her life. God, what an annoying man. Controlling. Yeah, it's very annoying. She kept telling him that she was like, you know, happily, unhappily married. And she would hang up on him many times, but eventually he's going to wear her down and she agrees to go to lunch. They meet at the restaurant where she had first caught the old rich millionaire's eyes and probably had like alfalfa sprouts and like mashed yeast, uh, Annie Hall style. So there'd been a woman friend of Albert's there, presumably to check out Vicky, but this doesn't put her off the second date. Again, the woman was present. No one ever learns of how this woman was connected to Alfred. And she was also present on the third day, a week later, outside of Schwab's pharmacy on Sunset and Crescent Heights, which was like super famous. Like that's where Lana Turner was discovered inside of there. Oh, it's Schwab's? Yeah, yeah. I wonder what that is. Sunset and Crescent Heights, you know I what that is? I up. No, you know what that is? It's a Trader Joe's. It's a, there's a theater there. Oh. There's a uh, AT&T store. Oh, sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's right on the corner right over there. He, she said, he was standing in front of the street and I waved and he told me to pull into the parking lot. Alfred said, there's a young lady that's going to be riding with you, so just follow me. 
my heart sunk to my feet. I drove my car with this person in it up to someone's house. I'm driving up Sunset Plaza and she proceeds to tell me that Alfred has a real interest in you. And I'm here to tell you that he's going to beat you when he sees you at that house, as he does with all the hookers he sees. He will probably tie you up. He wants me to tell you this, but he wants me to also let you know that you are special to him and he will make special, what's the word? Allowances. Now that's got to be a bit disarming. Like, would you be like, uh, who, who's this woman, yeah. and why is she? Like, what, what is she? Is she his bodyguard? Gil's here. Who she is? But yeah, I'd but- be like, firstly, bitch, I'm not a hooker, and secondly, tell me more about these allowances. <laughs> okay, what? but if he's all right, would you have like at the at the point where she's like, he's going to beat you, he's going to tie you up and beat you? Would you at that point be like? I'm going to keep going because I want to learn more. Or would you be like, okay, I think I'm a little, this is a little weird for me. Obviously, I'd be like, oh, I must survive because she's here to tell me that he's going to do this to me. But uh, there were so many killers in the 70s. Yeah, I mean, I guess she's curious. At the house on Sunset Plaza, which is uh, Sunset Plaza Drive near Mulholland, the affair probably begins and they weren't alone. They were met by a brawny woman in black leather who lived there as a dominatrix in waiting. Well, who's this guy, Gaddafi? Just surrounded by like all these like hot women. fearsome women? He lives there. She said, by the time Alfred and I walked up there, these two women were nude, and I was told to take my clothes off, and Alfred was already taking his clothes off. And he asked one of the girls to get the equipment, which is uh, Alfred Booming uh, Dale's belt, his ties that he wears around his neck, and excuse me, gentlemen, but a dildo. (laughs) This is her when she's saying everything to her lawyer uh, later on for all these quotes. She kind of also explains to the attorneys. He then proceeded to have the two women line up against the wall with their arms raised with a tie around their wrists, which was over the door and tied to the doorknob. And he then beat them with his belt. So wait, the woman that was in the car with him and the dominatrix lady there. Are being beaten. Oh, wow. After he finished beating the two women, they leave the room and the pair have sex. Vicky was shocked by the sexual violence, but she felt like she couldn't leave, saying, I was scared to leave. And at the same time, Alfred is the most fascinating man I have ever met in my entire life. There's no one like him in the world. He's fun. He's childlike. He's a little arrogant, but not rudely arrogant. He's always needed helping doing this or that because he was tripping over his own feet. And he was so worldly. He knew everything. He was also a pervert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But Albert did know a lot, and he knew a lot of people too. He founded the Dining Sign, which merged into the Diners Club credit card, which eventually was established in 130 countries. By the time he had met Vicky, he had stepped aside as a chairman of the Diners Club, which gave him ample time for new pursuits, including sadomasochistic sex with a certain honey blonde teenager. So wait, so Alfred's got to be what, in his 50s, 40s? Yes. At this point? Yeah. Late 40s. Late 40s, okay. So he's probably been, and he's, he is married, so the wife probably isn't into the whole S&M thing. I don't think she even knows. So His wife's mu- a socialite, so. Yeah, but so she must have been cool with his sexual predilections, right? Yeah. Or you, don't th- or you think she was oblivious to it? Oh, his wife, Betsy. Yeah, I mean. No, she won't know. She yeah, but, absolutely will not so know. So do they never have sex? They probably do have very dry, waspish, white person sex, yeah. And then I mean, she will sleep in her separate bed because she has to, a busy day of shopping tomorrow. And as soon as she leaves, he goes and gets a dominatrix. Well, I mean, this is his permanent dominatrix who lives in a house that he rents. Wow. So he doesn't have to get a dominatrix. He knows he has one there. 
So years later, Vicky would recall Alfred's stone-cold pillow talk after the session ended with, come on, let's go take a shower. And that was it. So Alfred decided at the time, he was 53. Okay, so he's early 50s. Yeah. All right. And she's got to be like 20. No, she's 19? still like um, Oh, she's still 18, like 18, 17, 19 18. years old. All right. She finds a new ze- he finds a new zest in his sex life, and he schedules romps with his Lolita at least three times a week. Uh, but, you know, Vicky's pesky husband, he keeps getting in the way. So Alfred did what any billionaire would do. He buys him out, and Earl soon becomes a thing of the past. Like, it shows how easy it was to get rid of Earl. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. I guess everything has its price. Alfred later sets her up in a luxury apartment in West Hollywood and later in a mini mansion in the Hollywood Hills. So Vicky starts like having feeling a bit of power here. She informs Alfred that she didn't find Mistress Kay sexually appealing. So Alfred turns over his little black book of hookers and Vicky takes control of their sexual planning and she weeds out anyone she doesn't like or thinks is a snitch or like just doesn't like the look of them. So... Is Vicky having sex with these women too? No. All right, but she just didn't. She just didn't want Alfred to whip these women. No, she was like, I, at least if you're going to whip somebody, I want them to be somebody. Be good. attractive. Yeah. Okay. All right. He would actually pay as much as two and a half grand each for prostitutes for the S and M sessions, and she later told a biographer that she hired fifteen hookers for his fifty fourth <laughs> birthday on April the fifteenth, nineteen seventy. You know who this is reminding me of? Yeah, <laughs> Licky Liam. Yeah, we're, we're, Licky Liam, a, a listener to the show. Uh, this is what, like three years ago? We were in Manchester on Halloween. Yeah, and he showed up and. I think he was from like Wales or something, but they were in Manchester and his wife got like five hookers for his, for his birthday party. Was it his 50th? It was, I think it was his 50th. 50th. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Warren. Yeah. If you're doing well, buddy. <laughs> Warren had Warren nothing was, to do with Licky Liam. I would like to point that but out. But he was very jealous. <laughs> he didn't get an invite back to the hotel room. For the first three or four years of the relationship, a great deal of their sexual activities were performed with other women present. So usually the routine began with like Alfred tying and beating the other women, and then he would beat Vicky, after which Vicky and Alfred would fuck like bunnies. So she was into it. Well, not necessarily into it, but she's placating him because she knows he's not going to shag them because he only has sex exclusively with her. Yeah, but she must have been turned on somewhat for them to fuck like a bunny. That was my turn of phrase. All like, right, I'm but... not saying she quoted the scene and then we <laughs> fucked his bunnies. And no occasion were other women present in her home for sexual activities with him. She did say, however, during the sessions involving other women, Vicky also played the heavy. Alfred instructed her to hit them harder if they don't call me master. She claimed that she was too frightened to protest. I'm not kidding when I say that his eyes got glazed like something you would see in a hospital or in a movie. He'd have these girls crawl on the floor and he'd sit on their back and drool, okay? I mean, he'd drool. That's a weird fetish. He's so turned on. Yeah, he's into it. For the next 12 years, a relationship develops to the point that went past the Marquis de Sada perversions of Alfred and they fell into like a form of love. Despite Alfred's wife, Betsy, and his uh, penchant for hookers as well. Uh, so intense and unusual is their relationship that through the 12 years of obsession, during which Vicky actually has three marriages, at least half a dozen or other semi-serious affairs, including one, friends say, with the king of Morocco, <laughs> King Hassan oh, wow. II, which saw her net a maid for life and 25 grand from him. She shagged him Cary Grant on the regular two, and she even has a relationship with another woman. 
But this bond of like mutual need, passion, and love, it continually draws them back to each other. It's like the worst toxic relationship. We also forgot mutual pat need, passion, love, and money. And money too. So he does treat her very well aside from the kinky sex. He treats her as an intellectual equal. He buys her gifts. He pays for her to attend the famed acting school, the Lee Strasberg Institute. He pays for ballet lessons, tennis lessons, aerobic lessons. He takes her on trips to New York and Europe, often spending time at Fort Lauderdale with her where he was developing a resort and at La Costa, which is an exclusive resort near San Diego. So he's not keeping her in the shadows at all. Yeah, I was about to say, he's so overt about this uh, this affair that he's had in this tryst. Where's Betsy? What about his wife? Oh, Betsy's shopping. So she has no idea when he goes to, like, La Casa. Well, obviously rumors go. She wasn't kept a secret. Many of his friends, uh, and she kind of refers to them specifically in her deposition. Uh, so she mentions Ray Stark, the late uh, Joyce Selznick, uh, Mike Frankovich, the director, Mervyn Leroy, whom Vicky claims told her that she could be the next Vivian Lee. I love that. <laughs> like if I was in a deposition, I'd be like, and I met Marty Scorsese and he said I was the next Anna Karina. And uh, she also met Nancy Blowjob Queen of Hollywood and her husband, Ronald Reagan, because they're real. So Nancy is best friends with Betsy. So this is kind of like galling. Well, Reagan must have been the governor at this point. Not at this point. Oh, he wasn't He's even... He's about to run. Early... I thought he was governor in like oh, the 70s. Oh, he could have been governor, yeah. Yeah, he was the governor. I don't think he yeah. was president Sorry, yet. I'm probably yeah. been president. And she obviously meets all other business friends and associates of Alfred's. So, yeah, he has enough respect for her that he knows he can bring her to a party, and she's not going to act like... Um, like Julie Christie and Shampoo. Yeah, but wouldn't Nancy, the blowjob queen, wouldn't she be a little suspicious? Like, who's this young, you know, arm Hot candy you have? woman, there? yeah. But again, they have respect for Alfred, and they're not going to rock the boat, rock the boat over. So as well as being provided with a home with housekeepers and a full-time cook, she had a brand new Mercedes with a driver, although she preferred traveling everywhere by limousine. He paid for her to have her tits done, and her monthly allowance increased from 1000 to 5000 to 10000 This is back in the 70s when money was actually <sighs> a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. With the money pouring in, that Vicky spent it as though she'd always had it. She conducted herself like she was a queen, remembers one of her old friends. And she used the money to have people at her beck and call. Why the fuck not? Why yeah, not? I keep thinking, what happened to her child that she had that's being raised by her mother? I will talk more about Todd. He kind of like dips in and out. Yeah, I would be dipping in a lot if my mom had this much money. She does spend money on Todd. She actually opens up like a life insurance on her for him for like a lot of money should she die. Well, does he get to hang out in the mini mansion? He will. We'll get to Todd. Vicky isn't scared to flaunt what she actually considers her wealth as well. So there is much to be said for the woman who like has to listen to pillow talk. And she dines in all the finest restaurants. She shops on Rodeo Drive. She gets her hair done at Menage Trois, which I thought was really <laughs> ironic. At the time, this was LA's most chic hair salon. And she did all of this knowing that Alfred's socialist wife, Betsy, was traveling in the same circles. So it is like a scene straight out of the Warren Beatty movie shampoo. Vicky and Alfred were necking in his car when Betsy walked by and caught them at it. There's some good timing. That evening, the shit hit the fan at the Bloomingdale Free Acre Estate on Delphine Drive in Bel Air. Betsy told him, and he told me, not only have I and your daughter seen you, the whole town knows about you and this woman. 
Vicky testified. So she must have had her suspicions prior to this. Of course she did. I Rumors mean, she's were going dumb. around, but she had never caught him red-handed. Yeah. And like obviously doing this so blatantly as well is insulting. As a result, she said Betsy had all his numbers changed, the private line at the house, the private line at the office, Oof. and all the phone numbers except the main number at the house. And he called to let me know that. Like as soon as, as soon as she's changed the numbers, he's like, I will call you back, but I'll have a new number for you, babe. A woman scorned. So as if this situation wasn't already complicated enough, Vicky becomes pregnant in 1971. <laughs> Alfred, by this point, had also told several of his friends that he was so ready to divorce Betsy. He wants to marry Vicky. He knew, though, that a child born out of wedlock with his guma would really set the chins wagging. So he pays for the abortion and she has the abortion at the Beverly Glen Hospital in November 1971. But now Alfred kind of begins to freeze her out. And so Vicky files a lawsuit against him, claiming that he had breached their oral contract when he had promised her support. This case goes nowhere, but the public scandal enraged Betsy further. Like, she's so pissed. Well, I don't understand. Like, they breached an oral contract. Like, did he have a contract that he was going to support her indefinitely? Of course. Of course. And he's saying that he's going to yeah, leave his no wife there's no written contract. Her. There's no, like, well, that's attorney why, present. Yeah, but that's why the case went nowhere. But she got it in the papers. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, now, that is overstepping the boundaries of being a side hoe. <laughs> See? She's breaking the rules. Vicky begins to self-medicate with quaaludes, cocaine, and gay man. And she has a quickie marriage to actor John David Carson. And this is her first real relationship with someone that's her own age. But true to style, Alfred isn't going to let anyone else have her, especially if he couldn't. And he essentially bullies away the up-and-coming actor using his money and his power. Alfred and Vicky, they resume their affair with the promise that Alfred, who had had, had, had heart surgery by this point, he's going to be less kinky. She's like, no more kinky shit. This well, is it now. How do you have the heart attack in the first place? Probably through kinky shit. Probably through kinky shit. He gives her an allowance again, and he even supports his son, Todd. So Todd now moves to, to L.A. Okay, so Todd was the OG son that's being raised by the mother. Uh, yeah, her mother, Connie. Okay. Uh, Connie originally was like, I don't want Todd to come and be raised in your fucking kinky sex mansion. But she can't really keep him because it's still like, obviously, it's Vicky's son. So Todd moves to L.A. How old is Todd at this point? He's like 12-ish, early teens. He's a tween. Wow. I would have been like, I'm in L.A. You know, yeah. Screw you, mom. Old mom. <laughs> two gonna moms. To, I'm going to go to young mom. My two moms. Much like Priscilla with Elvis, though, Vicky begins to feel trapped. All the acting, tennis, and the ballet lessons, they're pointless when her re life just revolves around being available for Alfred all day long. Well, she's a kept woman. What does she expect? I know, but it, it must get really fucking boring. You can't do anything. Read a book. <laughs> what, what, for 12 years, just read a fucking book? Yeah, read a book. Go shopping. Yeah, like Betsy. She again tries to break off the affair, especially when she became interested in a real estate developer, Robert Shulman. In 78, they fly to Vegas. They have a quickie wedding, but that didn't stop Alfred because he has a fight with Robert. Robert gives him some money to kind of fend him off for a time being that this lasts, but the marriage only lasts six months. Robert is going to remain a lifelong friend of hers, though, kind of like Joe DiMaggio with Marilyn. He's like the one that got, she's the one that got away to him. Like Debbie Harry and Ted Bundy, the Ted Bundy, the one that got away. Wait, Debbie Harry is never involved with Ted Bundy. Do you not know the story? Wait, Ted Bundy, the killer? Yes. Now, when were they involved? 
Debbie Harry was hitchhiking and she was trying to get to band practice. This is in like when she was living in Jersey, but the band was in New York. Um, it wasn't Blondie. It was um, the Stilettos. And it was like she hadn't she'd missed the bus or she'd missed the tube, something like that. So she stuck sticks her thumb out. A VW Beetle pulls the fuck up and uh, she gets in it. And it was Ted Bundy. Well, it, when she realized it was a, she eventually gets out of the the vehicle because there was no handles. And years later, when Ted Bundy gets caught, she sees like images of him on the news, and she's like, "Holy fuck, that it was, was him. the guy." Whether it's true or not, I don't care because yeah, I love Debbie it's Harry. It's a good story, but I think it's a little bit of an exaggeration going on here. Well, she talks about it in her book. So, Although Debbie Harry, though, I mean, she's been through some harrowing circumstances. So yeah. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised. In the in the book as well, it's when she first talks about being raped when the guys came into her and Chris Stein's house. So I don't see why you would be like, I'm going to tell a story about the time I got raped it's and just then maybe I'll lie about Ted Bundy. to be picked up by Ted Bundy, especially in New Jersey or... I'm pretty sure it happened in New Jersey, but maybe it was... Yeah, it must have been was in... Was he in New Jersey? He was fucking all over, man. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds suspicious. One thing about this relationship here with Vicky, how many marriages did she did she have? It's like, it seems like it's... Instead of just dating someone, it's like, no, let's get married. I think that's her MO. But like, think about it, though. She got abandoned, like, really early on when she was a kid. All other men just seem to leave, like, leave her when she's a kid. So I can see why she's so... I have to marry you because it, you'll leave if it's I the, don't. Yeah, it's the only way you'll stay with me. But yeah. it's got some attachment issues, this one. She does. It's another rule she's breaking. <laughs> she even begins an affair with... Uh, I am going to butcher this name. Princess Yawa Bint Saud, known as Jay, who's the gay daughter of uh, King Faisal, who was the Saudi monarch who was assassinated in 1975. Their affair culminates with a cruise to Hawaii when they, like, they're aboard a luxury yacht that Vicky describes as a sex and drugs bacchanal. They partied and licked pussy so hard that the ship's captain called off the cruise and when Vicky returns to L.A., her friends convince her to take time off. She's had a decade of decadence. And so in October of 79, she checks into a mental health hospital in Beverly Hills. And here she's diagnosed with drug dependency and depression. The two go hand in hand, I think. Wait, I want to hear more about this cruise. So was it all women <laughs> on the cruise? It was her and her lover. And just, just the two of them? No one else? And they were having such a party. Yeah, just her. She chartered the yacht for her and her lover. Wow. She's got the money. Is there a videotape of this? Yes, G. Okay. I'll show you it later. Here in the uh, the mental hospital, she's going to meet a man who's going to prove of much importance in her life. She meets 29-year-old gay schizophrenic Marvin Pancoast. And he was a college dropout who'd spent 10 years doing menial work in public relations and talent agencies. So he has delusions of grandeur big time. While he was working at the William Morris Agency, he stole the home phone numbers of scores of celebrity clients, and he created a fantasy world in which famous people were all his close friends. So wait, he would just call and, and just, just cold call these famous people? Yeah, from the 70s. And just annoy them, or did he actually like become friends with them? Hello, Paul Newman, it's me again. <laughs> what are you up to? It's like, oh no, it's that gay schizophrenic <laughs> calling again. He was really well liked at the Morris Agency, actually, and he was generally easygoing. He was very sympathetic to other people's problems, very supportive. He extended himself, said a, an old friend. He's attempted suicide at least twice, and he had developed a dangerous habit of having anonymous sex in washrooms or wherever. So he's cottaging. 
Yeah, my brother does that too. I know, Big but deal. this was back when it was pretty bad. <laughs> was like, that I mean, not bad? But you know, in the eyes of the law, it was bad. Yeah, I think you could get. Well, I think you could still. Didn't George Michael get arrested for cottaging? Yes, but ju- he was just like it's part of our culture, and I think nowadays people are just like, oh, whatever. Yeah, maybe they're maybe. I bet you, like, the fine isn't as heavy as it was back then. Yeah, it's probably just, like, you had your dick out in public, put it back in. When she's released, Vicky went back to Alfred. It's 1980, and this is when politics enters their private life. Alfred continuously confided in me by telling me his private opinions about influential and important people with whom he was intimately involved, such as Ronald and Nancy Reagan. And he told me about his involvement in secret and delicate matters such as campaign contributions for Mr. Reagan. Yeah, that's surprising. He's like insanely wealthy. You know, I'm surprised. What is surprising is that Alfred keeps taking her back. Don't you think she'd be damaged goods by now? No, that's what I mean. I think there is a form of love here. And he's dependent on her just as she's dependent on him. It's become, it is like Anna Nicole and um, her oil tycoon because he loved her. There's no doubt that he loved her titties. Well, if I was Alfred, I'd be wrapping it up for sure. (laughs) She even goes to work at the headquarters um, during the Reagan campaign. And when Reagan wins, they actually aren't going to have long to celebrate. Um, Alfred had come back from Europe and he'd been suffering from like a nagging discomfort in his throat, which wasn't oral cancer, Michael Douglas. Remember Michael Douglas blamed his oral cancer on his wife's pussy? Yeah, didn't he say that he had like uh, genital warts or something, right? HPV. HPV, yeah. He said he, he had caught HPV it from in his, his throat. From his really hot, sexy wife, Catherine Zeta-Jones. If, that, if I was Catherine I mean, Zeta-Jones, it, it I would have left him. It happens. It doesn't happen. Maybe all the cigarettes you smoked, Michael Douglas, might have fucking given you throat cancer and not your wife's delicious pussy. Does she have HPV? We all have HPV. Exactly. It's probably going to his throat. I think it'd be worth it, though, for Catherine Zeta. Fuck yeah. She's still hot. One of my favorite Welsh women. So this turns out to be cancer of the esophagus. Vicky begins a deathbed vigil. She visits him every single day. I spent more time with him while he was in the hospital this past year than I have in any other year for the 12 years I've known him. Well, that had to have pissed off Betsy. Oh, she's enraged. <laughs> she's frequently calling Alfred in hospital. She screams down the phone about Vicky's presence and how she's forbade her to visit him. But yeah, it is noted that Betsy didn't visit him a lot. So Betsy didn't even go to the hospital where her husband was dying. She did, but no, like Vicky was there 24-7, whereas Betsy was like showing up maybe every couple of days. So again, that says something. But to get past Betsy, she's simply going to dress up in a nurse's uniform uh, to get past anyone who might be watching or spying for her. During his hospitalization, Alfred had agreements drawn up, witnessed by two members of the hospital staff, giving Vicky one half of his share of showbiz pizza and uh, two years of a monthly allowance of $10,000. Wait, he founded Showbiz Pizza? Yeah, I was going to Google Showbiz Pizza because I thought maybe it's an LA chain. No, Showbiz, um, I know we've talked about this on the show before, but so Showbiz existed before Chuck E. Cheese, but Showbiz became Chuck E. Cheese. It was like a pizza place with little kids where you play like, uh, I mean, I loved it when I was a kid. I went to Showbiz back, but God, I remember this like, when I was like four or five, before we moved to South Africa, there was one in Huntsville, Alabama, where I was living at the time. And yeah, it was great. I mean, you go there and have birthday parties. You play video games. You win little like tickets and you can get prizes. And there were these like animatronic, like this bear and a gorilla. And they were a band and they would play music. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I always really liked it. Well, he helped invent that. I had no idea. As an absolute side thing, just because it's got the same fucking name, in my top five singles is Downline and Sect, Showbiz. You know, the song goes, here comes the answer, Showbiz. Wait, what band sings this? Downline and Sect. I don't know them. And then they became that band at FU2. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're the same That's weird, because aren't they Australian? Uh, Australian and like British. Oh, okay. Well, they're not talking about showbiz pizza, though. It is in the 70s, so you actually don't fucking know. It's a great song, It had to have been, like, late 70s. He's sent home on hospice care, and Vicky would sneak in when she could, but the last time she ever sees him was on June the 16th, 1982. Shortly afterwards, Alfred is too sick to control the finances, and the monthly checks to Vicky stop. Without any income, she enlists the help of a famous palimony attorney, Marvin Mitchelson. She files a $5 million breach of contract against the Bloomingdales. Against Alfred. That is bold, considering the the amount of legal representation that they could buy. Exactly. The New York Times reported, Friends of Reagan's is named in $5 million suit for support. And Time magazine said, The tawdry tale has proved a minor embarrassment for the White House. So, the story was made even sexier by a 234-page deposition by Vicky Morgan that had included details of Bloomingdale's S&M issues, which we've been quoting from throughout this whole uh, episode. Betsy admitted the affair, but she characterized Vicky Morgan as a well-compensated prostitute who was due no future support. Like, Fuck off, Betsy. You've known he's been in her... You know Vicky's been in his life for 12 years. She's not a prostitute at this point. Well, he's been paying her a lot of money for sex for a long time. But also, like, they went on holidays together and, like, they loved each other. I definitely think there was some form of weird fucked up love between the pair. Look More at, so than what Betsy pretty has. woman. Yeah, they fall in love in the end. And I then know, they but I mean... Cinder fucking Rella. She was a prostitute. Yeah. Shortly afterwards, on August the 23rd, 66-year-old Alfred dies in secret and he leaves a whole world of mess behind him. Family only attended the funeral and Vicky, apparently off her nut on narcotics, telephoned a Los Angeles newspaper to disparage Bloomingdale's widow, saying she buried him like a dog. This woman only thinks of one person, Betsy, Betsy, Betsy. Well, she must hate Betsy as much as Betsy hates her. I know, I would hate Betsy too. On September the 26th, her case is thrown out and Vicky was devastated. And she's also busted. She moves with her Doberman Pincher from her luxury digs to a downscale condo, a downscale condo on Colfax Avenue in Studio City. But she kind of needs a roommate to help pay the bills for her and Todd. Todd by this point's 14 and he's full on punk. He has a green mohawk. <laughs> Todd turned out pretty cool. I bet Todd was like hanging out on Melrose. Like yeah, all, yeah. With I wonder all if he's running with one of the punk rock gangs that Fat Mike talks about. He might have been. We need to do a show about the LA gangs as well. We definitely should. There will be a future show about that. In steps her old pal, Marvin. Vicky essentially treats him like a servant, despite the fact it's Marvin's mother who's footing the majority of the bills. <laughs> Even though he's gay, he was in love with Vicky, and he cuts out newspaper articles about her for a scrapbook that he's keeping, like Richard in Boardwalk Empire. He keeps a weird scrapbook under his bed. They're only going to live together for three weeks, a stay he later described as pure hell. Well, yeah. I mean, could you imagine living with this entitled woman? Uh, yeah, who's like... For- Bossing him around, treating him like a servant? Yeah. 
It's yeah, not it'd be, be terrible. Good. And it, it's it's no surprise that that lawsuit would be thrown out either. It's like the guy's on his deathbed, probably delirious, hopped up on all sorts of painkillers, and she's like, "Sign it, sign it." He was kind of lucid at that point. And I think yeah, he got sure. thrown out because she can't afford the fucking amazing lawyers to fight the blooming. I think it would have been easy for a lawyer to uh, have this case dismissed. Vicky's in the paper a lot at this time, and her name was trash in town. She couldn't even open a bank account with her own name. She Oof. needed fast bank, so she hooks up with this television freelance writer, Gordon uh, Basiax, <laughs> as well as spilling her beans. He licked her beans, and they begin an affair. Gordon's married with a newborn at home. Also, Gordon's a bit of a shyster. He does beat Vicky. He's very abusive of her. They were calling it 50-50 on their future book's profit. The book was to be called Alfred's Mistress, and it's going to be an autobiography of Vicky and like her whole affair. You know, at this point, how old is she? She's still like in late 20s. Okay, so she's still, so still good-looking. Like eventually 30. those looks are going to fade. Yeah, she's like 30 years old. The last month of her life, it was tormented, desperate. She's completely broke. She'd been forced to sell her Mercedes. So this leaves her without a car and she's dependent on friends for getting around LA. So she's feeling really isolated. She begins to sell her jewelry like she's ginger in casino and anything of value that she owns. It also becomes clear to her that she's going to have to leave the free bedroom condo in Studio C. She can't afford it. The rent was $1,000 a month, which I think is an inside LA joke now (laughs) (laughs) for a free bedroom condo. That's the 80s. (laughs) And uh, often there's like barely any money for groceries. All the money that she did have saved... She was spending on Todd's tuition to attend Notre Dame High School in the Valley. So she is still, like, he's still being treated good. Like, she's not... Well, she is taking care of her son. Exactly. According to multiple sources, her diet was often not much more than candy bars, wine, scotch, volume, and cocaine when she could afford it. And she spent long periods in bed, day and night. Marvin described her as irritable and complaining. I'm sure I'm Marvin. Surprised. Yeah, I'm sure Marvin like uh, treasured the day he was like, yeah, sure, we'll move in with you. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to be great. We'll yeah. have a buddy relationship. We're best pals. Yeah. Uh-oh. Vicky and Marvin, they're being evicted for non-payment of rent from the Studio City condo. So she leaves it up to him to find a new place for them to live. And then she rejects each of his suggestions with like a dismissive wave of her hand. Like, I can't imagine apartment hunting back then when all you had was the paper, the newspaper to go on. Especially considering how shyster a lot of L.A. landlords are when it's like it's a it's a two bedroom and you go. It's like one of them is a closet. Yeah, but it's a hell of a lot cheaper back then. Eviction day is looming, and uh, Vicky can't be bothered with packing, so Marvin does that for her as well. God, Marvin's such a simp. He is a simp. He's, he's not even having sex with her. He's gay. I yeah. don't. Mean, I don't understand this. So her mother Connie, she shows up with a friend to help on the evening before they were to be evicted. Vicky lays in bed. She refused to lift a finger while Marvin and her mother do all the jobs. Around dinner time, uh, her mum, Connie, she returns to her home in Montclair and she said Todd was going over to see a friend to spend the night there. Marvin was going to an AA meeting and then Gordon came over. Gordon, apparently they kind of got into a scuffle or a fight, depending on who you believe, but he had also told her to lighten up on Marvin. So Marvin maybe that's must have why. been complaining. No, but maybe he's seen how like he is like Marvin so wound up. Like yeah, she sounds like she's like a, a a horrific cunt. Well, I don't think she's horrific. I think she's like in mourning. Like her fucking lover has died. Somebody that, that who's was the like only months ago, and she tried to sue them. 
She tries to soothe no, him. You know what she's in mourning for? Leg. She's in mourning for her allowance. No, I think she is in mourning for this man, this only constant in her life for 12 years who has died. The and only constant income in her life. She doesn't even too. have a job. It's terrible to lose someone, but then to lose the way of life on top of it. Exactly. Fuck yeah. That's and what I she's would mourning be depressed. for. No, I think she's also mourning him. They had a definitely had a relationship. Barely. I think they did. Vicky told her mother that she had reservations about moving to the new flat in Burbank with Marvin. And Vicky kind of broached the subject about him. And like Marvin had become really aggravated about being away from Vicky. So Todd is staying at his grandmother's. And sometime after midnight on July the 7th, 1983, one month and two days before her 31st birthday, Marvin pushes open Vicky's bedroom door and he beats her to death with a baseball bat. She's found at her apartment in the early hours of July the 7th, clad in a yellow t-shirt, blue bikini panties with red painted toenails, and she's very, very dead. According to the LA coroner, Morgan died around 3 a.m. from multiple skull fractures and an intercerebral hemorrhage, i.e. blunt force trauma. Well, it sounds like uh, this dude just snapped. I mean, he's already schizophrenic, but then on top of it, just having this like insufferable twat screaming at you all the time. I, I imagine he just was like, fuck it. Well, I think her saying that I don't want to live with you is what pushed him over the edge. He it was could, like, that could have been that too after yeah. like, you know, dealing with her and paying for everything and oh, well, shopping don't forget, and doing, uh, doing was, everything to maintain their household. But he was still in love with her. So I think her saying, I'm going to leave you, pushed him over the edge. He was like, no. So he brutally beats her to death. Although it's assumed that she was asleep when she was murdered, her fingers on both hands were broken kind of suggesting that she awoke and she resisted the blows and he inflicted a multitude of blows so many that the autopsy report states that the separation of the individual dif- uh, injuries is difficult to distinguish he's ma- he mashed her he mashed her head in kind of like oh what's it bob crane was it todd's baseball bat oh i actually don't know i don't know todd's a punk like yeah but you know you he might have had a baseball bat when he was a kid I I think it's probably Marvin's baseball bat. What is he doing with the baseball bat? Well, you know, he's a he's grown gay. man. Are you saying that gays can't swing? No, oh, no, I'm just saying there's probably not that many gay men playing baseball like in around LA. Are you they joking? have other things to do. Baseball's one of the sexiest sports for looking at a man's package. If I was a gay man, I'd I be a baseball. I think there's a lot fan. of I mean, I'm sure there's a decent there's a you know, a decent amount of gay men that play baseball professionally, I'm sure. I don't think gay dudes, I don't think there's like a Santa Monica baseball league or, you know, a, a Santa Monica Boulevard baseball league. I fucking bet there is. We're yeah, going to look it up. According to officers at the LAPD North Hollywood division, Marvin staggers in at around 3.20 a.m. and he tells the desk officer, I want to speak to a homicide detective. When asked why, he said, I just killed someone. He's transferred to the county jail where for the first day he's strapped to a bed as a suicide preventative because he's like, he's so like, out of it he said i remember i had a baseball bat in my car uh he was telling a herald examiner reporter i went outside i got it then i went upstairs and i turned the water on in the bathroom noise factor i guess then i started hitting her she raised up in the bed when i hit her the first time it scared me but i just kept hitting her again and again and again i don't know how many times he had the bat yeah it sounds like it's his baseball so he's bat. batting for the other team right <laughs> 
His motive, he said, the way she talked to her mother when she was over. Her mother came over and packed all her things and she just sat there like the Queen of Sheba. She needled me and she wouldn't quit. I just couldn't take it anymore. Exactly. I don't think this is a love affair. I think he just snapped because no, he this... couldn't deal with her. But he was in love affair. He did still have a fucking Maybe at one up. point, but after living with her, he's like, what an insufferable bitch. <laughs> it's only three weeks. I just had to shut her up and she was going on and on. When I started hitting her, I couldn't stop. I was drained. I was tired. He went on to paint a picture of constant harassment by Vicky that finally drove him over the edge. I kind of empathize with this guy. I don't. I don't think he should be fucking hitting anyone with a baseball bat, do I think that she was so mean to him. Even like uh, the that Gordon Basikas was like, you got to lighten up on the gay guy. Gordon would beat Vicky. He beat her. I know. It's this guy who's an abuser was like, you got to lighten up on this dude. She must have been like really harsh. There was no doubt to Ma- uh, Marvin's guilt, despite what the conspiracy theorists will tell you. But it's actually his sanity that went on trial. Not surprisingly, the, tr- the defense are going to use his psychiatric history to its advantage. Its most telling piece of information, obviously, being the confession, oh, yeah. which he does recant, but they always do. Marvin apparently said he committed the Manson murders years earlier, although there was no cooperation <laughs> such a confession took place. Uh, Robert Steinberg one of those great Jew lawyers of uh, L.A., uh, managed to ratchet up the sensationalism by claiming that Vicky's personal effects included videotapes of sex parties attended by men at the highest level of American politics. And isn't it weird that Marvin had no blood on him when he came into the police station? It was all a conspiracy, right? Steinberg said that he had viewed portions of the tapes and he had 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 them in his own possession. But when the media and the authorities began pressing for proof, he announced that the tapes had been mysteriously stolen in the end the tangent of any scandal evaporated if you like unless you believe the fucking stupid conspiracy theories the sex tapes were dismissed as a hoax and he was charged with making a false report that would could you imagine how much those sex tapes would be worth now well they they weren't real i know but but if they they were real and someone had these oh my god amazing i would love that if that had come out so a jury convicts Marvin of murder nearly a year to the day after he beat Vicky to death. In something of a surprise, they ruled after four additional days of deliberations. So it wasn't like an easy, like four, four days is a long time for deliberations, that he was sane when he killed his roommate. He's sentenced to 26 years in prison, but he's going to serve only a tiny fraction of that because he dies of AIDS in a prison infirmary in 1991. God, I like how this guy just goes to prison and immediately gets AIDS. He's <laughs> <laughs> not wasting any time. <laughs> not long after the conviction, a Californian jury awarded $200,000 to Vicky's estate. Oh, so she ended up getting the money that, oh, yeah. that, that was promised to her. Fuck you, Betsy. Did it all go to Todd? It does. Her lawyer and longtime friend, Michael Dave, he pressed the appeal on the dismissal of her breach of contract lawsuit. Betsy cries during the testimony, claiming that she didn't know anything about a deal between Alfred and Vicky. What a fucking liar. She knows everything about this deal. She's such a cunt. Well, also like 200 grand to Betsy Bloomingdale. That's like nothing. It's nothing, nothing, right? nothing. So the money does go to Vicky's son, Todd Morgan, who has since disappeared into the SoCal ether never to return. If he's alive today or not, I would love to know what happened to his mohawk. Yeah, I wonder if that guy still lives in Southern California. I don't know. It would be like hard, I think. I would want to leave or at least, you know. I mean, maybe move to the valley or something. Maybe. I mean, 200 grand, that 200 grand I'm sure is gone. Well, yeah, it's not, it's not a lot of money. When you yeah, but I wonder it. whatever happened to this guy. Maybe he used it to go to uni and he's had a better life. Either way, it's shit what happened We to should him. track him down just to annoy him. 
We should hire... And ask him about his mother. Not to annoy him. We should hire Lenara's <laughs> PI services to find him. And get him, get him on as a guest on this award-winning podcast. Yes. Betsy was the sole survivor of this love triangle, but maybe she'd wished that she kept paying the monthly checks to Vicky. Then there wouldn't have been a sex scandal that embarrassed the president. Then her name in LA wouldn't be associated with whispers of sex pest husbands and his naughtiness. And maybe it wouldn't have led to the death of a woman who has never really got a chance to live. But I think Hunter S. Thompson summed it up well all those years back when he said, there's a lot of wreckage in the fast lane these days. Wait, was he, he's not referring to her. Of course that not. was just an, okay. Hunter S. Thompson is a wise person. Yeah, but Hunter S. Thompson was around during that time and a journalist, and she was obviously newsworthy. Yeah. So that it makes sense that their paths would cross. Well, maybe he would have been aware of it, but he's just, I just wanted to end on a Hunter S. Thompson quote. I was trying to find a James L. But it, that does work because <laughs> she was definitely living in the fast lane for quite some time. She, well, her whole life was. It, it's interesting to me how after, you know, Alfred dies, she's like a persona non grata. In Hollywood, like all the restaurants and bars she hung out with, all the people she used to, they just all turned their back She's on her. She's a scarlet woman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they must have known before, but I mean, the, the yes. rich man was alive. Her sugar daddy was alive at this point. Oh, there's a total double standard. And how quickly they turn on you. I know. I feel sorry for her. Yeah, it's kind of a tragic story. I mean, she never really got to, to live up like a full life. No, she was just so beautiful. Beautiful and the damned. And she is buried in Forest Lawn, but she has no marker, which I find, like, I think that's really sad that she doesn't have a marker. I wonder if we could find it. We'll have to take a look. Uh, people, this episode 933 here, Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next. A really good phone call, actually. Uh, very. It's a perfect phone call for a uh, side chick um, uh, episode. Okay. You know, it's side chick day. Uh, people can call the Sick Around Hotline at 323-522-4032. Uh, but first, let's listen to this quick message from Adam and Eve. Hey guys, it's me, Stephen. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thanks to your awesome coupon code, Diddle, I can buy myself loads of good sex toys. Since both of my wives died, and my Lugaric's disease got pretty bad. Let's just say things in the bedroom got pretty boring. But thanks to adamandeve.com and coupon code DIDDLE, D-I-D-D-L-E, I am now a new man. So we got a couple of phone calls to get to here. Uh, people, you can call the Sigron hotline at 323-522-4032 or just send us an email, just like Glasgow Greg did, to uh, podcast at gmail.com. So Glasgow Greg called in with a very entertaining story about a threesome Ugh. that went awry. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a great threesome story, and it's perfect for our uh, side chick podcast. So, um, yeah, here's uh, here, here's Glasgow Greg. You're probably going to have to translate this for me. Yeah, I'll try. Happy New Year, second royals. Is it too late to say that? Happy New Year, anyway, Glasgow Greg. 
This might be a two caller. Might tell you right now. I was asked by a close friend of mine to go to Amsterdam to go play some banjo and spit some poems for the new year. Yes, a hug money. Great night was had by all, but this is not why I'm calling. Right. He was asked by a mate of his to go to Glasgow to play banjo Amsterdam. and do what? To go to Amsterdam to or I'm sorry, Amsterdam to play banjo and do what else? Uh, spit some poems. Spit some poems. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. All right, but that's not what this call's about. The cripple and I celebrated their 25-year wedding anniversary on the 10th of December. Oh wow! Oh, Mazel Tov to you and the cripple there, Glasgow grad. God, I was like, wait, how old am I? I was 13 when they got married. 25 years ago. Yeah. Long time. <laughs> what a honeymoon. A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The cripple joked that we're still married in 25 years. That she would like to get her pussy eaten out by an Asian while sucking my dick. And here's where the story takes a turn. Uh, okay, you gotta translate that. So uh, the cripple said to him, if we're still married in 25 years... Uh, we're going to get an Asian woman to lick my pussy whilst I suck your dick. <laughs> well, she's sucking his dick. Whilst the cripple is sucking okay, his dick. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. Hot. So I go and perform in Amsterdam with your duties. All expenses are paid because I'm as cheap as a fucking Jew. <laughs> but anyway, and it's been happening for a while, so the cripple had arranged it. She uh, researched and we found a nice... Uh, 27-year-old Asian chick in Amsterdam. It was all set up. And uh, we, bring her, we bring her back to her apartment after the show. We meet her there. And we all, you know, we, we loosen up, man. We take some cheng. Uh, we're smoking some dope. I obviously take some Buckfast with me because I'm a Glasgow boy. Buckfast always gets in the mood. Yeah, mood to vomit really badly <laughs> in the next day. So, so wait... The cripple found this young Asian girl at the show, or did she hook up with her beforehand and arrange this? She hooked up and arranged it. She okay. researched and found her. And so was this girl like a like an escort or a prostitute or something? Well, I would imagine so, because they're in Amsterdam. All right. That, now it's kind of making sense. Uh, it all starts to get a bit sensual. It started getting down, man, you know? Very sensual. Uh, the Buckfast. The Asian girl, we all started dancing. The Asian chick, man, she was so cool. She started easing the tension. She was getting hot with the crapple. And the pants came down. <laughs> she started touching the crapple. And I, I just burst out laughing, man. I just burst out laughing. I couldn't even get a heart on, man. I just thought... Talk about ruining the moment. Yeah, what's so funny? Yeah. Did she have a dick? Yeah, did she have a dick? Like, what was so... F- what caused you to laugh about this? <laughs> I guess she must have had a dick. The cripple just can't get a break. I mean, he cripples her for a start for life. <laughs> and she just wants her pussy licked by this a, hot Asian. By this hot Asian. Now she can't do that either. Maybe she had a weird looking pussy. And, what, like an, no, I always imagine like Bill Hicks, you know, when he talks about like a paper cut of a like vagina. A wisp of cotton candy Indeed. framing a paper, paper cut. cut. But then he's talking that's about like a young Asian. girl. Yeah, but that's also Asian pussy. Asian pussy. There could be some roast beef on an Asian pussy. Oh, I don't know. In my mind, when I think of like Asian pussy, it's like like a Barbie. It's perfect. Well, there are some like that, but there's also uh, there's definitely a variety of pussies. I've just talked like the Japanese, the the Chinese. They've got perfect pussies. You know it. I mean, I've I've seen a few. 
that uh that I mean there's a there's like a lot of variety with genitalia in general. Did the Bobby pussies of the world do? <laughs> but I still want to know what was so funny. I mean, he sounds like he was really high, kind of drunk. It's probably just too wrecked. So maybe just yeah, you know, too so wrecked. That level of stoned where you just can't have sex because everything's really funny. Well, you can't just get in the mood because you're just so whacked, you know. Yeah, everything's funny. Flipping my little fucking, flipping my little steel like fucking todger, man. Waiting for it to get hard when I was giggling like fuck. And then, uh, and it all went tits up, man. It all went, all went down from there. And so I, I had to pull up my pants. The couple started laughing, man. The, the Asian prostitute, she was clean as fuck, by the way, clean as a whistle. Uh, you can get your dinner off her ass. She, she started laughing like fuck, man. She was, she was pointing at me, I'm pointing at her. She's pointing at the cripple. Uh, <laughs> hang on, man, I'm going to have to come back with a second call. All right, he does come back with a round number two. So at this point, there, it sounds like they're all naked. The cripple and the Asian were kind of getting it on, the Asian prostitute and the cripple. He's just laughing, and now they're all laughing, pointing at each other. Yes, were they like on, the like, Spider-Man meme. Or no, mushrooms or something? That's wrecked. Because I can understand, like, if you're on mushrooms, I could, I, I could see everybody start giggling and laughing, you know, about something, like, like, hysterically. But, yeah, if you're on, like, Ching. I'm, I'm good weed. Yeah, good weed. I mean, Ching yeah, could put you in the mood, although Ching can also affect you uh, from getting hard, though. Yes, yeah, it so. definitely can. All right, here's a part two. Oh, part two, boys, part two. So, I bring you up to speed. We've got a Mexican fuck off here, man. We're all pointing at each other. We're all fucking laughing at each other. And it turns out, man, she's uh, she's from she's from Camden. She must have lived near you, Kate, at some point, man. She must yeah. have lived near you. You must know her. I do. Anyway, we're all pointing <laughs> at each other, pissing ourselves laughing. It couldn't be done. The cripple pulls up her pants. I pull up her pants. The hot Asian chick, she's like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I'm like, nah, kid, forget about it. So we all start laughing. Yeah, I wonder if like the Asian prostitute's kind of like feeling rejected here. I bet this happens a lot more than people Maybe, think. I wonder if, like, she knows going into the, like a situation like this with a couple, you know, there's a lot of variables. Like things could happen. Exactly. Like you don't really know what it's unpredictable. Whereas, like, if it's just one dude that she's going to hotel, she'll probably end up getting fucked. Yeah. Or having some kind of sexual. Well, as long as I get occurrence. paid, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. As long as she, she's getting paid, she's getting drugs and buck fast. We start talking to each other, we start hanging around, man. It turns out she's a great girl, man. She's packing herself through school. She's travelling between London and Glasgow. Uh, and she, she knows some of the, the gigs and places I've been to, so we all mail out. I asked her, I was like, you got a pimp outside? <laughs> you got a pimp outside? She's like, oh yeah, aye, man. She's like, yes, Sikanda. I've got a guy called Sikanda sitting out there on a BMW, man. I was like... Wait, I'm a little confused. She, do you have a pimp? She has a pimp sat outside and it's called Sikanda. Oh, okay. All right. So, so, the, so he probably purchased her services for like two or three hours. I would imagine. I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to rush things. No, probably for a couple hours. But it sounds like they maybe took up a half an hour at this point. 
<laughs> before the giggles kicked in. Oh, man. Bring him in. So, <laughs> so this chick goes and gets uh, Sikanda, the pimp. This is from the, Calls him in, man. He comes up. He's got more ching. And uh, we all sat in the room, man, for our two hours, getting to know each other and uh, getting getting down with things, man. It, it turns out uh, the cripple just absolutely can't get her pussy, pussy like off hot Asian chicks and I can't get a hard on in a room with three hot chicks with four pairs of working legs. <laughs> <laughs> so the hot Asian chick says, uh, you know, I could... I could suck, I could suck my man off and, and, and he could watch. Wait, wait, wait. The Asian chick said she could suck the pimp off or suck oh, Glasgow I, Greg I off? I think she means Glasgow Greg. Oh, okay. So she was like, you could, yeah, you might as well. I mean, you paid for it. Uh, and, and Tracy could watch, the couple could watch and see, and see if that works. And we're like, oh, no, okay, this, is, this is fine. Well, we're going to pay your 250 euros. We love That's you. It. You're the best. It's just, it's just not happening between me and Tracy. They've been together since we were like, well, we live next door. We were nine, so we've been together from nine till now. Wow. Jesus, if I killed her back then, I, I'd have been out of parole. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. That's, that's that's the story. It turns out we just we paid her well, set her home, and a, a good night was had by all. The couple. Of- <laughs> it sounds like you made it made a new friend. Yeah, you should you know, go and hang out. Some bonding going on there. Yeah, you she, should. She's in Glasgow. Go look her up. I know what she's got going on now. Yeah, it's probably a uh, what do you guys call podiatrist? Oh, for your feet. Yeah, oh, I've forgotten what we call him, Brian. Like a philopodist or no, something? No, it's not a philopodist. That isn't it's, even it's a word. It's some ridiculous English word. And uh, orth- no, orthopedics. No, it's like a, it's Bloody it's yeah, the most ridiculous word I've ever it's heard not, for a podiatrist. It's well, podiatry in itself is a stupid. stupid it is. Word. I mean, it's a, a ridiculous profession. However, look, I know how to use the word. The word is it's like it's this British word. I remember we were like a spadopolis. Or something. Like, we were walking through uh, York. Chiropodist. A chiropodist. Like, what yes. the hell is that? It's a podiatrist is what it is. It's just, oh, right. There is no difference between a podiatrist and a chiropodist, but podiatrist is a more modern name. Fucking Americans. So we've given you a perfectly reasonable name no, it isn't. for a foot a chiropodist. Doctor. It's the most ridiculous sounding term I've ever heard. I can't remember how you were pronouncing it when you saw it. You were like, what's a chiropopodist? <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like spelled C-H-I-R-O. So it's like a chiropodist. Right. I think foot doctors are worse than fucking doctors who look at you funny because nobody is going to a podiatrist or a chiropodist with beautiful looking feet. No, the, the reason you're going to a podiatrist is to, to, to fix your feet. Yeah. So, yeah. so you must look at like the gnarliest, Ugh. worst feet. I couldn't all do it. The live long day. Couldn't do it. Or pussy eating off a hot Asian, and I never got my dick sucked after the couple. But yet, we came close, and we had a great time with an Asian pimp called Sikanda and a hot Asian chick who was awesome. And by the way, she was totally, she showed me her asshole. I asked her to spread her sheets because I'm paying for it, right? Her asshole was so fucking clean and paired, it was unbelievable. But my pickle, my steel like pickle, just whistled and laughed in the face of this absurd Mexican laugher. 
I love you all, sick and wrong man, and that's my New Year story. And uh, Kate, D, I love the fact that they're together, man, it's getting all soft and warm, but I love it, you guys are in LA together. And man, I, I hope your relationship's as sustainable and as fucked up as mine as the couple's man. We love you long time, we love you long time. Sorry, right, babe, we'll just pay you the money, we're leaving. Happy New Year! Well, Happy New Year, Glasgow, Greg. You know, their relationship's very inspiring. I'm wondering in 25 years if we'll get a hot young Asian chick to uh, lick your pussy. No, I'm too, <laughs> I'm too selfish of a lover to have that happen. I mean, the cripple's great. She's good giving a well, game. I feel like the cripple is, uh, you know, the, the, the victim here. Like, I feel bad for her. I, I, she's the tragic character in this story. All she wanted was to get her pussy, pussy licked by an Asian girl. Does she still want it? Did you start like a new bargain where you were like, oh, if we're still like married in 10 years time, we're going to retry this. But maybe with like an Australian chick. Well, it sounds like she wants an Asian. I know, but maybe she would be like, you know what? We, we tried the Asian. It didn't work out. So now I'm just going to go for Australian. So wait, did this happen recently? Like just over New Year's? Yes. Oh, okay. So you're 25 years. So maybe at the 40 year mark. Like no offense, try to, again. No offense to Glasgow Greg, but he's already passed the life expectancy of a Gla- of a Scottish <laughs> man. So I want to kind of pair it back a little so that the cripple can. Okay, have all right, her all right. Maybe we'll say thirty-five. No, ten years ten. from now. Ten years. Yeah, yeah. ten years from yeah, now. Yeah. At their thirty-fifth anniversary. Try again. Don't give up, Glasgow Greg. It's Lovely. very inspiring. They're a great couple. Very inspiring. Love them both. Happy New Year to you. Uh, people can call the Sick Girl Hotline. Give us a call, 323-522-4032. Big ups to all the listeners who support us on Patreon and Apple Podcasts. You keep this side chick podcraft going. Yes. That's what you do. It, it is, it's you that's doing it. I know you're not telling your wife about it. You're probably not telling your, your mother or your, your siblings about the show. That's fine with me, as long as you support us. Uh, so people just go to patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up for the Patreon today. Go to Apple Podcasts and uh, keep the show going. Also, if you want to get some merch, we do have some, uh, some sick and wrong swag over at the T Public store. Just sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop and click on the picture of the Pope. And finally, here's sick and wrong song of the week. We have to dedicate this one to Vicki Morgan. Yeah, of course. Famous side piece. Your pretty face is going to hell. Uh, by the Stooges. I didn't pick this out. Kate Rambo picked this one out, okay? This is one of mine. <laughs> yeah, obviously. But it's a classic, and I think it's very appropriate for this uh, for this episode. I think it is as well. It's uh, from their seminal punk album, Raw Power, which came out in 1973. Uh, people will be back next week with episode 934. Till then, take a sleazy.
when my son came out that he was a bottom, I loved and accepted him. And although he told me that he wanted to be stretched out by all the men in the neighborhood, I accept him because that's what parents do. Yeah. At least decent ones anyway.